0: Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. On the planet. With your host, Paul Murphy and expert coach Nick Nanavati. Hey
1: everybody, welcome to an episode of the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul Murphy, your host. I'm joined by Nick Nanavati.
0: Hello, hello everyone.
1: Always fine. And we're joined by a meta-shaker, meta-breaker, <laughs> coming out of nowhere, Mr. Kyle McCord. Thank you, thank you.
2: So glad to be here and uh, delighted to get to share with you guys today.
1: This is also Where we talk about, you know, folks how they've, they've played the game, where they've in the meta. Typically, we're talking to like the champions of tournaments. But you actually didn't win the whole thing, but certainly did incredibly well. And we'll talk about that uh, in Kansas City with an exciting list. This is part one of a two-part conversation. In part one, we're going to talk about the the list, factions you played, you know, your stratagems that you your go-tos, maybe some secondaries about how you kind of approach things, and uh, and then in part two, uh, for subscribers, we'll, we're going to talk about the actual matchups like in how you approach different factions of the game because you know you when i mentioned you kind of came with an outside list it's not necessarily a combo that no one's ever heard of before but you know you played and got to the top 16 in a very competitive field
2: welcome to the show well thank you and i'm excited to tell you uh everything that i've come up with in terms of uh this list it's a lot of fun to play and also uh it has some very interesting matchups. Let's put it that way.
1: I'm really looking forward to hearing about it. So, without you know keeping the suspense alive, is Astro Militarum and Gray Knights?
0: What 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 what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Soup. I was told that was illegal.
0: I really thought that was like a relic of early Eighth Edition, Seventh Edition. I mean, you're out here in middle peak ninth edition where armies are uh, have so many special rules for being purists. And you're like, nah, screw up, screw all that stuff.
1: I what played this going? exact combo very early eighth edition. Like n- no kidding. Just, really? Yeah. I've, I mean, I've, not the exact list. Of course, you know, you've, you've got some secret sauce here, but I mean, in, in times have changed, but yeah, great Knights and Imperial guard were a great, you know, a great match mash up with each other. Cause they helped kind of shore up certain weaknesses. And that's exactly how, what my
2: approach really was to it, Paul, which was, um, If you look at the win percentages for both these lists, right, um, one of the things you see is that the win percentage for Grey Knights, I believe, was hovering around 39%. Astra Militarum, uh, if they didn't have Brett the Catachan, Urbanowski uh, would be far worse than it is. But neither one of them by themselves were really winning factions. And so I said, you know, I want to try combining taking the best of and seeing if i can use that to supplement some of the weaknesses in each individual faction
1: would you mind running down the list so why
2: yes i will i would love to run you through the list let's 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 not keep anyone in suspense so the list really looks like this i start off with a patrol of Astra Militarum. And so in that in that patrol, does not have my warlord. That's one thing I should say. And um, a lot of people who sort of had questions about the list, one of the things I'll say is that it was tricky for them to get their mind around the idea that you could still have certain features of armies without necessarily having them be your warlord. So I'll explain that as we go. So first off, we have two Lehman Russ, tank commanders, and this Astro Militarum detachment. The regiment is custom, and it, it does what most Astro Militarum do at this point, although in two weeks, this will look totally different. So the regimental doctrine is gunnery experts, which is that you can reroll number of shots at any point when you are shooting with a weapon on a vehicle um and then it has spotter details and what spotter details does is it extends the range of most weapons by 6 inches so your demolisher cannons now they're now you're at 30 your plasma cannons now you're at 42 so uh, i take advantage of that by having two tank commanders the each of them has a heavy bolter a demolisher siege cannon and two plasma and then two sets and then a set of plasma cannons as sponsons okay from there I have an infantry squad. Sorry, I should say I have three infantry squads. Laz guns, plasma guns, box caster, plasma pistol, power sword. I then have an astropath. The astropath has, as a spell, psychic barrier. I then have a platoon commander with a plasma pistol and a power sword. I have a manticore who, though they wouldn't let me put this, for some reason Battle Scribe is messed up at the moment, um, is full payload. So, uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. I then have another patrol, but this one is Grey Knights and it's Prescient Brethren. And there's a Grand Nemesis Dread Knight with all the fixins. So, he has a Nemesis Greatsword. He's got a heavy Psy Cannon. He's got a Gatling Silencer. He has Unyielding Anvil. He has a Sigil of Exegescence, um, He has Servant of the Throne. And then he has Gate of Infinity as his spells and Vortex of Doom. I then have... Good old Vortex. Good old Vortex. I gotta love it. In fact, in the previous version of this, I had two guys with Vortex because I loved it so much. Then we have Kaldor Drago, who has Gate of Infinity, Empiric Amplification, Sanctuary. Um, I then have a unit of Strikes with Swords. I have a unit of Interceptors with Swords. Uh, because I really hate Tyranids, I have a unit of Interceptors with Halberds. And then uh, I have two Nemesis dreadnights with Gatling, Silencers, and Heavy psi cannons. And one of those guys gets to have a sword because I had the points to do it. And that's really the the totality
0: of the list. So when I look at this, it's like... Half-guard, half-grey knights, and it doesn't get—correct me if I'm wrong here—any of the guard secondaries, any of the grey Knights secondaries, what else does it lose from these specific factions?
2: It's a great question, Nick. So um, you're absolutely right. I do not get faction-specific secondaries. I also do not get uh, tides for grey knights, and I don't get um, hammer of the emperor for um astra militarum i can i still have access to all of the relics and warlord traits for gray knights i cannot access those for astra militarum so the guard are not the guard get to have one tank or tank ace uh but they don't get to have any relics or warlord traits
0: but you also still get the stratagems from both codexes too right you do is it just a matter of you wanted the data sheets in these codexes more than the rules themselves associated from playing either faction as a mono bonus? Or are you doing this to be a special snowflake? What's the thought process
2: here? <laughs> I don't mind being a special snowflake. Uh, hey, who but, doesn't love uh, snowflakes? <laughs> who doesn't love snowflakes? That's right. Um, but uh, without going to, sort of too long about this, my view was that gray knights have some incredibly spiky, powerful data sheets, just like you mentioned, and then they have some huge problems. Ever since AOC, they got more durable, but their book was really built on the idea that minus 1AP meant something. It it doesn't in many instances. And so you will struggle with Grey Knights to find any AP over two unless you're running Dread Knights with multi-meltas or land raiders. Conversely, uh, you have Astra Militarum. Astra Militarum in its current version um, can't hold objectives to save their lives, uh, literally. Actually, right, literally. Uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you put guard squads in on an objective and they just evaporate, right? I mean, you can you can do things like make a big conscript blob and. Give them, you know, a four-up involvement through Inquisitor but an Astropath. But generally speaking, they have a hard time. Usually, if you watch tournaments, the Astro Militarum list will start to lose about the third or fourth round uh, because they have huge amounts of firepower, but they can't hold objectives. And so I wanted the sheer firepower of the tanks. I wanted move, move, move. I wanted the out sort of outrageous damage that comes out of a manticore, especially when it rolls well. And so I wanted to bring those things together. And I was I also built a secondary plan that didn't include purifying ritual, didn't include, you know, boots on the ground. And I said, okay, I think I can really Mind the best of these two factions. And yes, I'm trading some things, but those trades are really meaningful when you actually look at sort of the interwoven weaknesses of each of the books.
0: So let's talk about that for a second. Do you? said you aren't taking the Purifying Ritual Secondary, which is one of the strongest aspects of the Grey Knights, in my opinion. It lets them really play a defensive game. Instead, you're just going yep. for those, those raw power data sheets, interceptors, Dread Knights, and complementing them with high AP and damage output from guard firepower. So kind of like a yin and yang coming together. How does that actually work on the table for you?
2: Um, it worked well. Uh- I, I,
0: without, without tooting my own horn. <laughs> I mean, you're here for a reason, Kyle. You did make top 16 with the super unorthodox list, and you've done other tournaments as well.
2: True. Um, so I will toot my own horn. So, um, <laughs> we'll toot it. Look, we'll toot it, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Go, go for it.
2: <laughs> so without, I, don't, I know we're going to talk about secondary, so I don't want to dive too deep into that just yet. But what I'll say is people are often very surprised on the tabletop when they play against me. There's plenty of players who move things out in the open and are very surprised when they go to, when they realize that they are not there in the next turn, right? Um, Because you can hit them with huge amounts of mortal wound spam. You can hit them with demolisher cannons. Um, And additionally, the list is incredibly mobile, right? The grand nemesis dreadnought, he's warping around. He's doing powers, he's p- he's picking off angles, um, and uh, a lot of times I can force opponents into very unfavorable trades by using move-move-move infantry to go out and steal objectives or to block off areas, make it so those big you know big blob of kraken raveners don't have an easy way of getting to me and a lot of secondary and one thing that people don't necessarily see from the list is the the list has challenges in terms of secondaries there's things it does very well but then also, it's very good at denying secondaries. Most of the kill secondaries that are in that list are absolutely traps. It also denies incredibly well. And so nobody really wants to be on the receiving end of, you cast Warp Ritual and I'm going to get 3d6 and get plus 1 to it uh, in on my deny. Uh, so between all of those things... Um, It really plays a pretty interactive game. It has matchups that are are more challenging, but one of the virtues of it is that it doesn't, as far as I've encountered, have a, a list that just hard counters it. There's just lists that are more challenging.
0: So let's unpack all that a bit. I think that you hit on some really great points there. One of the things I noticed is about when you start describing how your list plays, in addition to just, you know, your opponent exposed themselves, and I have all of this damage because I've just taken the best data sheets from two different armies, is you also talked about your secondary game and disruption to your opponent's secondary game, and you described your army as super interactive. So... When I look at your army additionally, I see a lot of different types of units. Interceptors can move really far. you got move, move, move. you got shooting all over the place, combat capable, psychic offense. So you're very adaptable on the table. You can kind of master of none, decent at everything, this army, which I like a lot. How do you, I guess, pick and choose how you're going to approach each game with respect to the mission as well?
2: It's a great question. So um, I will say... Uh, You don't know this, Nick, but I've been silently watching you in the war room and all of your mission reviews. And that's actually something that I studied really extensively, which was I wanted to look at each of the ways that a mission played. And certainly there are missions where the default secondaries are really challenging, Right. Uh, if you look at, for example, twenty-one, which is uh, abandoned sanctuaries, man, there's like ways in which trying to do banners on that's very challenging. It's funny but you it's,
0: mentioned. It's, sorry to cut you off. It's funny you mentioned no. you been watching these in the war room and abandoned sanctuaries as your example. That's the one we're going to cover this coming like tomorrow <laughs> in the war <laughs> room on our strategy session.
1: Oh, it's it's, foreshadowing.
2: <laughs> ah, I, I didn't. This was absolutely unplanned. This was not an advertisement, right? You know, but <laughs> since we're here, um, since we're here. no. Since we're here, right? Um, so I have one of the things that I did was um, I created a series of maps each time I revised my list, and said, "Okay, these are these are the objectives I would like to take on these missions in a general sense." And then, based on the armies that I played against, I would say, "Okay, well, I need to revise this." this way. I need to revise this that way. And then as the army morphed, I realized that certain secondaries that I would thought perhaps weren't so viable um, were, coming, like, were becoming increasingly strong for the list. For example, um, I realized in Kansas City, I never lost a game where I took engage which is unusual because engage is uh, an, an option that usually you get you're gonna get work have to work kind of hard to get a 10 on. But it turns out to be something that my list does fairly well, because it's got these large sturdy vehicles that can go into the corner shoot, you know, shoot, disrupt, um, and do that fairly easily. And so I would say that in sort of short answer to this, it, it was a thorough kind of mapping process that then was revised around what my opponent decided to bring and what I, ex- what I had sort of expected, what I'd sort of tested into because I, I tried to do a lot of testing with the list and find out, okay, how does it play into this army? How does it play into that army? What are places where it comes up short in each of those matches and how can I sort of accommodate that?
0: I love that approach. Basically, you have this very fluid-style army that in, in our strategy session series in the war that you referenced, we talk about how some armies are have to become the aggressor, some can be the defender, some are slow and immovable, so you just have to walk in the center and take it. Others can be more fast and nimble. Yours can do a little bit of it all. And I like that kind of unique secondary game plan you, you can adapt mission by mission to as well.
1: Uh, how often do you have to inform people of what dreadnites do? <laughs>
2: um you know the funny thing is i think that there was a moment where gray knights were so scary that people kind of got and you know people would play five of them they're like i got two grand emesis dread knights and i got three of these guys running around with swords hacking people up i did that Um, (laughs) it was fun right i mean that that book is legitimately a lot of fun um I have to tell people that a lot. The number Paul, the number one question, the number one moment where people don't believe me is when I tell them what demolisher cannons do. Um (laughs) (laughs) These have been in the game for
0: like six years, seven years unchanged stat wise. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and yet people are still like wait it does what 2d6 right very experienced players forget that these things just you know point click remove um in a lot of circumstances you know uh, i also and again this this absolute abomination will uh get toned down we already know what it is but um people forget how absolutely absurd vengeance for Kadia is um and i have to tell them Oh yeah, by the way, I have an easy button if you're playing Chaos and I can just
0: hit it every single round. I hate Vengeance Acadia so much. As a longtime <laughs> chaos player, it is probably one of my least favorite rules in the game.
2: <laughs> I've been Nick, I've been waiting so long for people to play Chaos. Chaos was not competitive for so long. You're telling now, me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And now and so now, now that they have emerged from their cave, I'm like Uh, It was funny because in Kansas City I was like, oh, please let me play Demons. Oh, man, I'd love to play Creations of Bile. And my teammates were like, oh, I don't want that matchup. I was like, dude, I'll trade you in a heartbeat. (laughs) And of course, what I got was Hey, do you like
0: Tyranids? You want more Tyranids? Here's more Tyranids, right? Like, you know, if you wish for it, you'll never get it. That's the key thing. That's so true. (laughs) Kyle, I'm I'm so excited to hear your matchup discussions in part two, just because uh, the way you describe your army playing on the table, it's got to be so malleable depending on who you're playing against. But let's try to save that for now. I do want to unpack kind of your secondary plan, though. Just generally, you said it's mission by mission. But what do you go for? What are your go-tos?
2: Yeah. um, So if I am left to my own devices... um, Generally, the the selection is this, psychic interrogation, which I know ritual exists, we can talk about that, but psychic interrogation, banners, and then one of two possible, usually one of two possibilities, which is um, prisoners or prisoners are engaged. Either one is, is pretty good. There's instances where I will pick grind. There's instances where I will pick ritual. But generally, those are sort of the the secondaries that I tend to hover around unless there's something very
0: unusual about an army. So what is your um, distinction between Psych Interrogation and Warp Ritual, just since you mentioned it? Yeah. Um, so
2: there, this is something that I was actually talking with uh, Tyranids player Ryan Verbeck at about uh, down in um, down in in uh, Kansas or sorry down in Midmo and uh, very very gifted uh, Tyranid player and so we were talking about he said well I don't I don't get why people necessarily take psychic interrogation instead of ritual because look there's a mathematical argument for ritual which is you only have to get it off three times uh, you get more points if you if you only manage to get two done or something like that. Um, <laughs> That is true.
0: I would also uh, add just the positional argument, too. You know, your opponent doesn't get a say in where, like, you have to be 24 inches from their psychers. They control where those are. The center of the board is right there.
2: True. And there's plenty of instances where, for example, I'm, I'm not an idiot. If you're like, I'm playing Harlequins. Cool. You're going to put all your psychers in your boats. I get that, right? And so I'm not going to play Interrogate there. Um, but one of the great things about Interrogate is you can gain CP um, more than people expect, right? One of the rules that people often forget is you don't have to beat their leadership. You just have to tie it. And so if you're me and you're afraid that your interrogate is uh, going to be denied, you can 3D6 it and you'll very likely just get that CP back. The other thing I will say about interrogate is because I have so many... Uh, characters who can do it my optimal version of this is i'm going to interrogate you with my 35 point astropath um which is embarrassing <laughs> right <laughs> he's really good at but getting
0: that information
2: he is he's like who did you who was your crush at camp and they're like oh, it was Susie. right and yeah, like i was gonna say
1: getting in your opponent's head but that's a little too on the nose so. <laughs> a- absolutely right the bloodthirster is like
2: i'll tell you right um to this twenty thirty you know tiny thirty five point astro path, um, so uh, I can often triangulate. The other thing to remember is, even if you can hide your characters, I can warp. I can gate of infinity. I can have a grand nemesis dread knight just walking across the board, and there are some armies that make it very difficult. You know, for example. Eldari or something like that, but Eldari, I mean, if you're Eldari and you're not playing Baharoth, I don't know what you're doing, right? Um, And Baharoth has to go somewhere, and so as a result, uh, there's often opportunities to pick up points there. Um, One of the things about Warp Ritual is that, yes, you don't have to get as close to your opponent, but it telegraphs your movement. It tells you exactly where, they know exactly where you're going to be. You're headed for the middle, and uh, sometimes I don't like that sort of confinement,
0: especially with your army being such a mobile, like you can teleport a dreadnought, you can gate a dreadnought, your interceptors are pretty mobile and your your guard is in the way backfield, not bothering anybody. So I totally <laughs> get that non-commitment nature of your list. Do you ever find that raised banners is a better alternative to Nephilim data?
2: I find raised banners is almost always a better alternative to Netflix data with 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 exceptions obviously like so if you if you look through the missions 11 12 13 I'm going to play banners uh, 21 even though R&D would seem to make sense I'm going to play banners 22 23 uh, I'm trying to think of any mission 23 is scouring and that's sort of interesting because the backfield clears out. So generally there's a, a world in which I can, I can R and can put a unit of strikes in back, et cetera. Um, and I'm, I think about like 31, 32, 33, there's really no, in, here's my problem with R and I, I, this is going to sound strange because I just said that I like engage, but it's the six inches out that that feels very uh, like a big ask when i just need to be over by the end of the turn into my opponent's zone that's one thing but most good opponents um are are if you take r and d you set a challenge for them just the same way you have with grind where now they can say "Eh, you know what i'm gonna make it really difficult for you to get that third point and maybe the fourth point um Banners obliges my opponent to come do something about what I'm doing, and I want them to do that, because then I have Demolisher cannons that have something to do. Um, and generally, uh, if I can force them to come towards me, then uh, I'm doing exactly what I want to do.
0: Makes perfect sense to me. I want to shift the direction of our conversation a little bit to the data sheets you've actually taken. You mentioned how you've taken guard for their like obscene firepower, which makes sure. perfect sense. And then Grey Knight's... Well, there's only like five options in that codex, so you took some of them. <laughs> <laughs> but the, with Guard especially, you're playing with some of the older data sheets in the codex. So one, do you feel the power creep of the game around you, just making your data sheets feel a little bit outclassed? And then two, there's a lot of strengths to the Guard firepower, if I'm being honest. Mostly, what I would assume is the indirect portion. You've only brought one mana core. You could be yep. bringing like two or three your Basilisks, things like that, Wyverns even. And then there's also like an efficiency rate of, like, plasma guns you can get in guard with their command squads. You just seem to have skipped over that as well. Were those considerations at all?
1: Absolutely.
2: Um, And I'll say that the Manticore was a relatively late add. Um, And
1: so this is... All kind of boxes here.
2: Yeah. Um, So, the the Manticore, one of the things that I am very resistant to is hitting on fours. um, Because Sometimes you'll be hitting on fives, so unless you're delivering just immense amounts of damage, uh, which is what the Manticore does, it's not that compelling. And so, um, you know, uh, Jack Jack Harpster and I were talking about this, and he said, "Remember, it is an average of eight shots. You're only getting four through even to begin with, and uh, and then you have to you have to make it count, right? And that's assuming you're just hitting at on you know on half, but." the so to go to the manticore that the what i figured out about it is the manticore is great for solving a problem you didn't know you were going to have where something doesn't go right and you're like you know what i'm going to use the manticore to solve that boom 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 uh, you ha- you left a, a character out of position okay now i'm going to pick them off right especially if it's eldari or something um so that's that's one thing to say the actual Lehman Russes have always been the heart of the list. And I actually used to run a version of this list where I used the tank aces to reduce, to take a tank ace that just they reduced all damage by one in shooting, which made them just miserable to try and remove. Um, But I concluded that I really didn't need that. That generally the Russes, because they're AOC, they're, you know, and they're a two up, um, and especially if you hit them with plus one save. Suddenly they you're shooting them with meltas and they're saving on a four. Um, so to go back to it, yeah, the the Lehman Russes, people are always shocked when it's like the average for these is you're gonna put out about nine to ten shots because you roll two dice, you can re-roll either of them, um, or both. And so if you get a six on the first one, right? Uh, you re-roll the second one, maybe get a four or something like that. It's always a bummer when they roll like a five, but uh they're gonna. They're hitting at strength ten. They're minus three. They're d six damage. And yes, in terms of being outclassed, in terms of firepower, it is un- always unfortunate. When I just wish the demo cannons were minus four. They're not in the new book either, by the way. Or at least I. I if I knew something about the book, I might know that. Um. And so, uh, the the demo cannons are incredibly damaging. And then um, the plasma. One of the things people forget about is that the Lehman Russes actually have a stratagem. 2 CP, if you're shooting at a vehicle, maximum shots. So that doesn't just apply to the turret weapon. It applies to the whole vehicle. So suddenly you're putting out 12 demo cannon shots, uh, 6 plasma shots, and you might as well overcharge them because you're hitting on 3s, rerolling 1s. And then... Uh, you are putting out three heavy bolter shots just on top of that. There's not a lot in the game that survives that unless you roll poorly. And there's nothing in the chaos book that survives that if you vengeance for Cadia. So between the two Lehman Russes, the Manticore, and then every once in a while I do get to shoot the infantry squads when I'm sort of feeling (laughs) when when they aren't out grabbing points. Um, But the firepower there is very heavy. And then, if there's something that I can't break with that, um, let's say that you've got thirty against and they've got catalyst and they've got um, they've got a fi- they've got the five up involved and they're only getting wounded on threes because you're playing leviathan. Um, there is a giant pile of shooting from the dreadnights that uh can be re-rolling ones to hit re-rolling ones to wound and also you know can pick off huge numbers of units as well not to mention the storm bolters from the other guys
0: yeah
1: i, I think terrain has a big factor to do with how well the demolisher cannons can fit in the list too because they are they're potent the Lehman Russes are potent you can find different ways to arm them but then being able to actually create and exist within these lanes of fire that the train affords and you knew that going into it did that have any factor into maybe um how much you committed to them as opposed to some of this other weaponry we're talking about
2: yeah it's a great question so i actually thought and i don't know why i actually thought that gw's terrain would be a
1: little thicker
2: um because whenever i was playing the demolisher cannons i had opponents who said well on gw terrain you won't be able to see much i didn't run into a lot of problems with that um i found that the the terrain was nice because it allowed me to decide when i was going to commit I, it was, you know, uh, of course, there's situations like if the Tau have Sunshark bombers, you don't have a choice. You're going to get bombed and then you're going to get shot. Um, but they couldn't necessarily angle around to get rail rifles on me or something like that. What? So a big part of my decision was about where, you know, I mentioned that previously my warlord had been in the Astro Militarum detachment and I'd had more tank cases. And I, when I was coming into the GW event, I said, okay, well... I think what's going to play really well here is big blobs of interceptors, uh, move, move, moving infantry, and then some ve- a very nasty GK who is going to run around stabbing people, disappearing, reappearing, dropping mortal wounds. And sometimes he's going Drago is going to have talked to him, and he's just going to reroll everything to hit. I found that that, was, that really influenced how I shaped my list in terms of the event.
0: I want to talk about how you came up with the concept for your list in the first place. Obviously, in the beginning, we talked about how it's a bit unorthodox to be souping up in this edition. What made you want to in the first place? And and are you married to Grey Knights and Astrum for, for certain reasons, or have you explored the entirety of the Imperium?
2: Um, I have. I am absolutely. Uh, let me put. It, I, I am absolutely agnostic when it comes to what I will do, Nick. So, um, my my team rolling sixes has been uh great about. Uh, first of all, supporting all of my all of my insanity,
0: but then also, uh, so you're that I, guy on your team where you're just like, oh, "Here's dude. my wacky ideas, guys." I'm like, "What is this, Kyle?"
1: <laughs> and they're like, "It's never going to work." And then you're like, "Well, top sixteen, baby." Dude, every <laughs> team
0: needs someone like that.
1: Oh, absolutely, the guy who's like, "Guys, I need you
2: to look at the list. I changed out a plasma pistol," and they're like, "Oh my gosh, right?" You know, oh, yeah. uh, And they're, <laughs> I'm 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 both guys. I'm both guys. Guys. Uh, so, <laughs> so um. I have tried every permutation, and and they are so awesome about saying, oh, you should try this, you should try that. So I, I should tell you, here are some things I've tried. At one point, the, earlier in 8th, I did Custodes, Dark Angels, uh, Astra. Astra's always been at the core of it. And then I've done, uh, I've done Grey Knights, Custodes, uh, Astra. I have tried—I um, never tried Sisters because Sisters doesn't play well with others. Um, I've tried Helverin's and Astra— and then I've tried. Let's see, what else is even in the Imperium? I played. I I, pl- I used to play a lot of Ad with them. If it if it has the Imperial Eagle on it, I've tried slapping it in my list. I guarantee it. And so this this version, the reason I liked it was um, there's almost no vehicle like a Dreadnought. A Dread knight has more wounds than you would expect. It's got a four-up involved naturally, and then it puts out it. It plays every phase. I I would challenge the the closest you can get maybe is Custode's Dreadnoughts, and I did try that, and I admit that is a very scary list. Where you say you know I'm going to run I'm going to run three Caladia or three Calidus uh, grab tanks. I'm going to run a couple of you know uh, of Achilles or maybe just regular contemptors and then i'm also going to run some leman rust demolisher cannons you will absolutely remove things from the game and your fr- and people who play you casually will hate you but it doesn't work quite as well because it has some pretty specific vulnerabilities um and so uh specifically that if they can get to you you're actually in big trouble um if they can get to you here with this list you aren't in it as big a trouble. In fact, you're kind of expecting it at a certain point. And so, at any rate, uh, to, a long answer to your short question. I tried. I've I've tried every flavor of ice cream under the sun, and found that this was the one that uh, really had the it, it, two things. It had the best secondary plan, and then it also had. Um, a lot of really dynamic features. The Imperium in in general, other than Sisters, can be very slow, uh, unless you're really fast Space Wolves or something, or really fast Blood Angels, right? And again, those are not necessarily Dexes that play well with others as much.
0: I appreciate the long answer to the short question. I like that you're a man of many flavors. You know, just sticking to one thing <laughs> in 40k can be quite boring. So I'm all for exploring the, the game here.
1: I also... Well, just- we suggest it all the time. You know, when, when the meta is going one way, you know, go go into your codex, or your is codexes, uh, and figure <laughs> out what the best combo is to attack it.
0: Seriously, right when they zag.
2: <laughs> I will. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And so, uh, I am actually look. I am looking at a votan land fortress that I am playing. That I am painting right now. And so, one of the things that's really funny is, you know, I'm I I am omnipresent on the internet. If someone mentions, you know, Imperium Soup, I am there. Right. And so, uh, someone when I when I you know one of the previous versions of the list that did well, someone on Reddit was like. I think he just doesn't own any models and he just like, he just ran out of ideas and um, it actually couldn't be further from the truth. I have every army in the game and every sort of competitive model within that. I'm like a, I'm kind of a fanatic. You might've picked up on that. And so uh, if it can be played, I I I want to try it, right? And so, uh, as a result, uh, first of all, person on Reddit, just shout out at at you. And then, (laughs) secondly, um, the uh, the there, you know, one of the things I'll say is that I love trying different things to see what works well. And it absolutely it has to do with when Goonhammer puts out their article each week and says, "Here's what people are playing." What I'm thinking about is. How could I solve that? If that were me, how, what secondaries would I play into it? What are the units that, might, that someone might not think of that would really be oppressive for that army?
1: Uh, let's uh, talk about, you know, one of the things we like to talk about is the stratagems and, you know, maybe some things that you might save in your back pocket in our, our brutal but cunning segment. And, you know, I mentioned the dreadnights. You invested some, some points into them, some, some CPU. How many do you, command points do you start the game with? <laughs> uh, one
2: um i used to run a version of this list where i ran divination as well so i would get to generate two a turn um but it's it's a good question because i have to be very judicious about how i spend cp um and so re rolling a dice for no reason uh like for example for damage generally isn't in the cards because i have certain stratagems
1: that i very definitely want to use it- so you start with one. Is that deliberate, or did you just run out of things in the pregame to buy stuff with?
2: <laughs> um, I I just I was playing divination, and so then I was starting at zero, and then I said, you know. I really don't want to commit that because the only place I was able to put it was on the grand nemesis and he is generally doing other stuff. Um, and a lot of times it was redundant anyway, because if you get a CP back from psychically interrogating someone very effectively, um, then you don't need that spell anyway. Um, and so, uh, the, I wanted to try, I knew that I was going to have to pay for a patrol. That's two. I knew that I was going to have to play for a full payload because otherwise the manticore is not consistent enough. And then um, having an aura of obsec is insane. It's one of the strongest abilities in the game. You know, If you're playing Marines, it's one of the big advantages that people you know, forget about. All of your core all of a sudden has obsec in, this, in these big areas, and no one likes it. And I can when you walk onto their objective and say, "Oh, by the way, this guy has obsec, Even if he's just one model, he's the equivalent of Baharoth in some way. Um, only Baharoth doesn't always give it as an aura to everyone. And then the last bit was disappearing, reappearing, Grand Nemesis, Dread The not sigil is it? Yeah, Sigil of Exegesis. That is the craziest relic. In any decks that I think I've played, uh, getting to just say, you know what, I think I'll just go over here instead of being shot at.
0: It's um, been a while since we've had Green Knights on. You, you have a stacked out Green Master Dreadnought. You want to walk through exactly what he does for you?
2: <laughs> he is insane. Um, so. He's got it. okay, so, so let's start off with this. The God, he's like the other DKs in that, he puts out 18 shots, 12 shots at strength five, minus 1, one, uh, six shots at strength two, minus two, two. Then he has a sword. The sword has two profiles, one of which is strength 12 or sorry, sorry, strength 10, minus three, D6. And because he's the grand nemesis, you're going to get six attacks. Or he can sweep. And there's strength six minus two twos, so it's basically twelve halberd attacks. Um, then, because I like to have all the toppings on my baked potato, he's got um, he can pop a once per game three up invul that lasts till the end of your turn, not the end of the phase, end of the turn. He can, when shot at, once per game just warp anywhere else on the board 9 inches away from your from from opposing models and so in, one of the things by the way if you're playing if you're ever playing against you know like gray knights um one of the things my some opponents told me is I'm never gonna shoot at him. If I'm saying I'm shooting at him, I'm not shooting
0: at him, right? Because they would forget. <laughs> <laughs> what are, if I say I'm shooting you, I'm lying to you. I'm lying. You do
1: have it is a it is a cooperative game in some ca- some capacity, and that's cool. That <laughs> okay, if I'll get your cooperative game out of here. <laughs>
2: Uh, but right, well, no, it, isn't. Like, no it, is. it No, you're you're right. I mean, there's a. Let's put it this way. If I say my guys are one point oh 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 one inches away from the wall, we understand each other. If you say I'm never going to shoot at that guy, then I'm going to. And and, and so if my opponent says I'm going to shoot, at him, I'm going to say, Are you are you really shooting at him? And I have to confirm and whatever. Anyway, so yes. Um, and then as if that wasn't quite enough. He also has obsec, gives out obsec. And because he's pressing prescient brethren, in case I'm feeling truly feisty, I can pay one CP to have him reroll ones to hit and ones to wound. He also gives out reroll ones to hit um, if he's near anybody. So that guy is like the heart of the army because he is just a nightmare. He is just running around. Uh, I can put him, and so a lot of times if I'm playing against Even something where they have huge amounts of firepower, I will just put him right on the very front line because if you shoot at him, I can just pull him back anyway. Right. Um, And so he often will be going out, getting engaged. Um, He also has spells. He casts, you know, he casts Gate of Infinity so he can warp himself around. He casts Vortex of Doom so he can nail people with 2D3 uh, mortal wounds, which it turns out people don't like having happen to them. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. It turns out when you do that, people are like, oh, I don't really want that to happen to me. Uh, and so uh, he's just a very I, – I, what I can say is I really like that model a lot. I really like – and again, the more you stack on him, the more absurd he seems to become.
0: So talking about his usage a little bit, like all of his amazing rules and, like you said, the psychological factor of having a teleporting guy when you shoot him. He is – I guess, vulnerable to combat. He doesn't get that opportunity to teleport when you hit him. And he's a little confused about his role. And And when I say that, I mean like he's got these combat powers. He doesn't like close combat. He's good at shooting, not great at it, teleports, psychic powers. He's just got a lot going on. How do you actually apply it effectively?
2: Yeah. So one of the things I will say is that he he really wants to hunt. Right. He wants to go out and find things that are pushing on objectives and so there are there are units that he does not have an easy time killing if you have a carnifex with for example you know with just like claws and a heavy venom cannon right he will be able to kill them but because he's d6 damage on the on his sword it's going to be work. He can kill a hive tyrant if you roll poorly, right? Um, he can, or let's talk about other armies besides Tyranids. He is not going to have a good day playing into score pack, a, a big pack of score pack destroyers. Um, but the way that I typically use him is, is is he gets engaged very effectively. He represents a problem for my opponent that I can make that i can make very real for them turn one so that if we're playing on a mission where for example um there is we're playing on 22 or 32 where it's circle of death and then there's the quadrants what he's going to do is he's gonna he is going to walk over towards that opposing expansion and his buddy is going to warp in with him and they're going to sit there shooting anything that tries to get to that expansion stabbing it when it shows up and just generally being an incredible nuisance and they have objectives secured um there are things you can send at them that i will not be able to deal with right you know i mean he's still he's still t6 right so if you say i've got a huge pile of Uh, I mentioned Necron. So if you have a huge pile of veiled, uh, you know, destroyers that you you know shoot at him and you're rerolling all hits and all wounds, I got to start making a lot of three ups. But um, generally, he trades above his weight in terms of being a problem. And in the meantime, the rest of the army is doing exactly what it wants to do, which is securing points. You know, raking it in on primary. Uh, playing the mission and, and generally waiting for you to try and send something to deal with him and then shooting it with a demolisher cannon
0: i like that i just ended it off with shooting with a demolisher cannon. <laughs>
1: That's the <real> important <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on in this list you know it's uh we got a lot to talk about and we're actually getting close to the end here of this first part uh we got a whole another part <laughs> We're going to talk about matchups. We're going to talk about how you actually brought this stuff uh, to effectiveness to, to beat a bunch of opponents. I mean, you mentioned Tyranids, Tyranids, Tyranids. That's not an no. easy road.
2: No, and uh, I, ended up, I ended up two out of three against Tyranids. Um, still better than that, most. Still better, better than most. And, and Tyranids, Tyranids is not a bad matchup for me, partially because um, a lot of the things that they want to do
0: are things that I can stop. Um, we'll get they into that tiered to. matchup deep. Oh, in sure. Sorry. Two. No worries, Kyle. Yeah. I'm, I know you're super excited to talk about it. I am as well. I have one more question to ask you before we kind of hop on right over and get into that tiered matchup and how you approach it and how it's somehow a good matchup for you. Definitely don't want to miss that conversation. <laughs> um, if you were telling somebody, one of our wonderful audience members here, who is aspiring to be a special snowflake just like you, sure. what would be your advice? So
2: this is... I will tell you that without getting, you know, sort of too deep into the psychology of it, before I played uh, Warhammer, my game of choice was diplomacy, of all things. Yeah. It's
0: a great game. Dice. Just
1: no dice. No to-
2: dice. Just brain, right? Nope. It's all brain all the time. And one of the things I used to do was I would stare at maps and I would think about openings. And um, it is... And that actually is a lot of what you are doing when you are coming up with lists. One of the things that is great about my list, and, part of the, and a big part of the reason I play it, is that when someone walks up to the table, um, even the guy who won Kansas City, who I played, he was like, half the game, he's like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. The reason is because it doesn't fall into a pattern of what your opponent knows. They can't say, this has been my experience playing this in the past. So therefore, I'll do this. No one prepares for my list. If they do, they are a lunatic, right? Because the, because I think I'm the I'm, at the moment I'm the only person doing it. Um, but after this podcast,
1: yeah, absolutely, it'll be like "Great Night to Know Astra" everywhere, right? Like everybody's got these on their shelves, right? They'll be
2: like a, the Beach Boys will come back. They'll be like do in the Kyle," right? And like they'll you know there'll be a dance that goes with it, right? Um, and so uh, in my dreams, that's how it works. But um, at any rate, uh, what I would say is. That uh, if you want to break the game, you got to know the game, right? You got to know how it's played, and you got to know what other people want to do. And that's not to dissuade any from anyone from wanting to do that. That's to say that um, that's where it starts. Is you got to know the books, you got to know the armies, you got to see what people are playing, and then you can say, okay, well, I see people doing this. I want to push this way, and I think that there is this combination that I want to work with. So I highly recommend it, but it is. Um, it definitely requires a lot of like legwork and knowledge to make sure you, when you enter a match, you're like, okay, I'm not clueless about what this army wants to do, and here's how I'm going to outplay it using with the advantage that um, I know more
0: about their army than they know about mine. It's a really interesting approach, probably out of like, I don't know, 160 episodes. You might be the first person I've had to purchase the game this way. I'm really curious to get into your matchups and see how you approach each game individually, especially when, as you said, you know, the army's better than your opponents.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do want to remind folks again, this is just part one of this. We got a whole nother episode here. To talk to Kyle and break some of these things down in the matchups. If you were, uh, you know, just listening to this part, thanks a lot. Please do not forget to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, leave some five-star reviews leave some comments down below that is the way you kind of help the aggregators uh learn about us so what the people will find us and come and hang out and hear conversations like this get their mind opened up to the possibilities that is where number 40,000 and the tournament scene and everything else everybody else hold tight we're gonna take a brief break come right back into part two we'll see y'all soon
0: like what you just listened to Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the
2: competitive 40K network. theartofwar40k.com